Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope this following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, um, as we start off today, I want to tell you um, something that I have. It's a condition I have. It's called um, acrophobia. Okay, I've had this um, since I was since I was young. Um, in fact, I think I've I've pinpointed the moment um, when it when it started when I started to have acrophobia. Um, now that Emma and I have Daphne, it's something that I pray uh, Daphne doesn't get. Not because it's um, particularly bad, but it's, it's more frustrating than anything. Um, and there are certain situations you find yourself in, mainly during high school um, and maybe just out of high school, you find yourself in these situations that you just can't avoid because of things that happen at school and the th- sort of things your friends are doing. And it just kind of makes it kind of a little frustrating and challenging um, f- for that season of life once you're out of high school you don't ever have to do those things um and if you're like you maybe you're someone like me you have acrophobia you're like yes i feel that as well and then you're like others and you're like i have no idea what the heck you're talking about you're like googling it acrophobia is this um it is the fear of heights okay right and here's what right you get this okay if you if you're afraid of heights if you've been there okay just imagine right you're a lanky little kid in primary school trying to impress girls and then you go to camp on high ropes and you're like hugging a tree the entire time like okay that's not doing getting you any social credit okay that's not getting you any social credit at all in fact one time this sort of like i I thought one day i was going to conquer my fear of acrophobia okay um in grade seven um uh we were we were graduating because this was like back when grade seven was part of primary school and so we were graduating and at the school i went to aspie state school um where the golden rule is we who learn succeed um It stayed with me all these years. We used to have this um, program where it was like, I think if you got so many points, you got to go to SeaWorld uh, to like celebrate graduating. And I was like, yes. And so I got the points and I was on the bus and we went to SeaWorld and I was so excited because I was sitting next to my crush. Her name was Lauren Higgins. And we were sat next to each other on the bus. I was like, yes. And I was like, we're going to have a, the best day. Lauren's going to like fall madly in love with me and then we're going to live happily ever after. And then the moment came where I was like, I knew, right, in that moment, I was like, I felt like I knew I'm going to conquer my fear of heights and, and get over this. When Lauren turned to me and she said, do you want to go on a roller coaster? And obviously, I was like, yes. Yes, I do want to go over a roller coaster because this is where I proved to myself I'm over it. We're good. It's going to be fantastic. And we're going to fall in love because you're going to see how tough I am on this roller coaster. And so we get on the roller coaster. I should tell you the name of the roller coaster, if you've ever been to SeaWorld, is the corkscrew. Okay, the corkscrew not only is high, but it does like a double loop-de-loop in the middle of it, okay? So here I am, I'm in the line, I'm ready, I sit down next to Lauren, I'm like, this is great. And then the, you know when the machine comes down, it's like, clunk. At that moment, I was like, I regret everything. Okay, I regret every decision I've ever made. And then, a little, as, as the car started to like kind of pull out uh, from the safety of the platform, I immediately regretted it again. Because one minute I was looking at clear sky, the next I was looking at my feet. And I was like, this should not happen, okay? And then, I don't know how long it took, because I think I blacked out, but we like came back into where you loaded yourself onto the, the platform. I was like, finally, it's over. Okay, the most traumatic event of my life. 
It wasn't because you do that crazy thing twice, okay? You do the whole thing, it's like value for money or something, okay? And there's nothing worse than like that happens and I finally get there and I'm like, we're, we're out and I get out and I'm so discombobulated, okay? And I'm like stumbling all around the place that I like somehow get out of the, the holding area and I vomit in the first garden I see, okay? Like, oh, I know, right? Needless to say, Lauren, Lauren didn't want to talk to me for the rest of the day, okay? I did not display that, okay? But it, it's also just kind of like, oh, that, that's funny, right? I get that, it's funny. But it's also kind of frustrating. Anytime, like I go in a really, really tall building, like I cannot go near the window, right? If I walk near the window, like at the ground starts spinning, like it starts coming up towards me. It's not like, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Anytime I fly, I'm like, this is a mental game, okay? Chris, don't look out the window, don't look out the window. Just pretend you're not 10 kilometers above the ground where at any moment you could plummet to your death. And, and I know, like, because some of you are you're probably thinking, like, Chris, come on, man. Like, and I get it. Like, that's the whole point of, like, a phobia, right? It's where the rational and the irrational kind of merge and they kind of um, come together. And, and really, like, our phobias or these things, they're driven by this, this question of what if, right? Because I don't know about you. You're probably, you're normal, right? So you go up to a window and you look out and you go, ah, oh, nice view. I go towards the window and I'm like, what if the window breaks and I plummet to my death, right? Or I'm sitting in the plane and I'm like, huh. I wonder if today's the day, right? I wonder if today's the day, because I know that it's safer to drive, uh, fly in a plane than it is to drive in a car, but what if today's the day it's not safer, okay? What if today's the day that like for some reason my window cracks and I get sucked out and I'm the only one? Or like my chair plummets to the, to the ground, right? And I don't have a parachute on my chair. Like, like what if? And that's the thing about phobias, right? Phobias are these like extreme and irrational fears or aversions to something. Right, because I get it, like I said, I get it. It's safer to drive in a car than it is to fly, uh, sorry, to fly in a plane than it is to drive in a car. I get that like buildings have like specification codes and you know, often they've been up for a long time and they're, you know, designed to withstand certain forces. Like I get it, I get that really competent people design it. I get that the pilot wants to go home to his family and friends and so he's not gonna dive bomb the plane, okay? I get there's all the safety checks. I get, I get all of that stuff. but. But that's part of the, the thing of a phobia. It's irrational. It's irrational when you, when you think below the surface of it a little bit. And some of you who weren't here for the start of this series or actually just, you know, you're here today, you're sitting there and you're like, what are you, where are you going with this? Like, is this just your like big group therapy session where we get together, talk about Chris's phobia? No, I tell you that, I tell you that for two reasons. Um, one, if you're not a praying person or if you are praying, just pray for me, okay? Because like this is, I, I had to go to Disneyland with my wife and ride the teacups. Okay, like she, I can't do roller coasters. She, I had to sit there and hold her bags. And, uh, and then we went on the teacups and even that was a little, ugh. okay. One, one pray for me. But secondly, I bring this up because we're in this new series at the moment called The Paradox of Generosity. Um, and we kicked it off last week. And last week we looked at um, the science of generosity because really what we want to do throughout this series, um, and we're wrapping it up next week, is look at generosity from a new angle. Look at, maybe think about generosity, because I know, right, as soon as you wake up on a Sunday morning, your first thought is, how can I get to church? And I really hope they talk about money this week. I really hope they talk about generosity. Like, I know no one's thinking that. And so we wanted to explore it from a new angle, from a new perspective throughout this series. And so last week we looked at the science. And then this week, this week I want to explore, hey, what is the number one thing that gets in the road of us being generous? And to kind of get us going there, the reason I wanted to talk about phobia is because the number one thing that gets in the road of us being generous is this thing, generosity phobia. 
Now I know I can share that with this audience because some of you are dads and you get, oh, that's like a lame dad joke. And I can make those now. I'm really nervous about the 6 p.m. tonight because they're not going to get it. They're just going to think I'm lame, okay? And I made this word up, right? Generosity phobia. And generosity phobia, here's my definition. It's an extreme or a rational fear of being generous. And the same thing that drives this extreme or irrational fear of being generous is, is the same thing that, that drives my fear of heights. It's, it's this thing, it's, it's what if, right? What if, what if I'm generous and then interest rates go up? Okay, what if I'm, what if I'm generous and then the economy tanks? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if I have a pay cut or my industry changes? Or what if I'm just not able to keep up? What, if, what about the kids' education? What if there's another flood? Okay, what if the, there's a flood again and then my house gets flooded and then my car, like the, the street turns into a river and my car cruises down the street and then the, the insurance company won't pay out? What if, what if, what if? And when, if we're not careful or if we're at least not aware of it, right, we can end up what ifing our way out of being generous. Now, why this is a big deal is because of what we talked about last week. Um, last week, we looked at the biggest or one of the biggest um, studies that has ever been done on generosity. It is called the uh, Science of Generosity Initiative. It was done by um, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, two sociologists at the University of Notre Dame over in America. And what this study did is for five years, they took individuals and couples and families and they they followed them and they they tracked them and they tracked their generosity journey and at the start of this study you know they were kind of against it they weren't really sure you know that maybe they grew up like you and like me they thought hey honestly generosity is all about others right generosity leaves me at the end of the day with a net loss in my bank account a deficit emotionally a deficit um, with my time I just kind of it's generosity is all about others and so this study they wanted to see hey is that true like, who does generosity actually benefit? And so they took um, all of their research and they compiled it into this book, which for some reason, my screen has been weird. Um, and the screen behind me, just, it just doesn't even have anything on it. Um, it's, and, and they called it the paradox of generosity. And the reason they called it the paradox, you can't see it because the screen's being weird, is the paradox they said what they discovered in their research is giving we receive, grasping we lose. Well, that's what they discovered. It's this weird thing that the more we give, the more we actually benefit ourselves. But the more we hold on to our stuff, the more that we actually lose. And last week, we looked at this in more detail. So if you want to um, listen to it, you can jump onto our SoundCloud it'll, uh, or, our, or our SoundCloud, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. But this is what science said are the, are the top five benefits of generosity. Happiness, physical health, purpose in life, avoidance of depression, and personal growth. This is what they discovered from this research. The more generous you are, these are the top five benefits according to science. Now, obviously, in some of them, particularly like physical health and avoidance of depression, these are multifactored. okay? There's, there's a number of things that go into them, but on average, the more generous you are, and, and this, is, this is directly proportionate, okay? So this is not like, oh, I'm gonna just drop $2 like in, like a, you know, in, in one of those, um, maybe Salvation Army or maybe the guide dog uh, buckets when you're at, at Woolies next or when you're at Coles. No, this is like if you have a plan. And in fact, the the, the, there is a direct relationship to the proportion in which you are generous is the proportion to which you open the door to these sorts of things in your life. In fact, even in the book, they talk about this idea of fake generosity. This idea of like you just see a need kind of one time or two times and you just kind of drop some money and you go, oh, I'm generous. They talk about that idea of fake generosity and they're very, very clear. No, no, no. 
These benefits only come with a plan. These benefits only come when you actually are intentional about being generous. So here's the question. If those things are there, what, what is it that prevents us from being generous? Why is it that if we hear that and we're like, oh, that, that's, those are some really good things. In fact, these are often the things that regardless of faith, we want in life, right? We all want happiness and health and purpose and, and, and uh, a great mental health and to grow personally. So why is it that then when we, we, there's something that can offer this that we struggle? And I think a lot of it has to do with this, is, is generosity phobia, this extreme or irrational fear of being generous. Now, if I'm, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, the word that I have an issue with in this phrase is this word here, irrational, okay? Right, because I get it, because you're sitting there and you're like, Chris, it, it's not actually irrational, okay? It's not irrational, my fear, because I need to have a plan for the future. I need to be thinking about my kids' education. I need to be thinking about retirement. I need to be thinking about saving up for that house or saving up for that holiday. And, okay, Chris, this is about being responsible, isn't it? It's, it's not about being irrational. I'm Surely it's not irrational. Here's what you need to know, is that I wasn't just sitting there while I was writing this and thinking about this message and thinking, you know what would be great? Irrational. I'm going to throw that word in there because that will get people thinking. No, the reason I actually included this word in there is because of something Jesus said. Right? In fact, Jesus actually said that it's irrational not to be generous. And today what I want to do, this morning what I want to do, is I want to look at Jesus' teaching on this and why Jesus said it's irrational to be generous. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to take any of the things that Jesus says seriously. In fact, if you're not a Jesus follower, it would be weird to me if you took all the things that Jesus said seriously. But if you are a Jesus follower, Jesus talks about this, and Jesus addresses this irrational fear. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, I think what Jesus teaches on this can be incredibly helpful. And Jesus teaches on this in a way that I think really only Jesus can, okay? Because there's this paradox that we have. And Jesus often, at times, taught in paradoxes. Jesus said things like, hey, if you give up your life, you'll save it. If you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. And I was just like, what, that is a paradox. That, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. And so Jesus would often talk in this. And so Jesus steps right into this paradox, right into this tension that we feel. And he does it in one of his most famous messages ever that he gave on the side of a mountain. And the person, one of the people who was there recording it is a guy called Matthew. He records it in his biography on the life of Jesus, and he calls it the Sermon on the Mount, mainly because Matthew wasn't super creative. But in this, in this message, Jesus talks about all sorts of things, okay? He talks about marriage, he talks about sex, he talks about how do we treat our enemies, how do we forgive people, and he gets really practical on all these sorts of different things. And then he gets to money, and then he gets to generosity, and he gets really, really practical, and here's how he jumps in on this conversation. He says, no one can serve two masters. And he says, here's why. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, something really we got to highlight at the start is Jesus gives us no wiggle room on this, okay? Right at the start here, he says, no one. Who's that mean? No one. None of us. No one can serve two masters, right? Because often, you know, you, you, we hear people and they go, oh, yeah, but, but it's a little bit different for me. Like my situation, my circumstances, my body, my thoughts, it's all, it's all a little bit different. Oh, I'm a high performer, or, ah, but ah, you see, I'm not really a morning, like, we come up with all these excuses, right? And we create all this wiggle room, and Jesus goes, right off the bat, let's just say no wiggle room. No one, nobody at all can serve two masters. Jesus goes, don't even try to wiggle around it. No one can do this. And then out of all the things Jesus could pick, 
out of all the things Jesus could pick to contrast, he goes, no one can serve God and money. Is it ever curious to you, like out of all the things that Jesus could have picked, he said God and money? Like, wouldn't it make sense, right, if it's Jesus? He would have said, no one can serve Jesus and the devil, right? Why did he pick, why would Jesus pick money? I think the reason he picked money is this, is because money is the best substitute for God, right? Money, money can give you many of the things that God can without the need for God. Like, just think about it. Like, if, if you were to think about some of the things that money can give you, if you had enough of it, if you had enough money, money can give you power, it can give you security, it can give you control, comfort, it can give you self-worth, like, yes, I'm enough because I've got this amount of money in my bank account, or I have this job, or I make this. Money can open opportunities for you and open doors for you. It can give you influence, it can give you fun and happiness and experiences, right? If you think about it, if you, if you were to have enough money in your life, or you were to have just an, an open credit card that you knew was never going to run out, there would be very, very few times in your life when you would actually need God. Maybe when something really bad happened relationally, maybe when something tanked emotionally, maybe when you lost someone. But on the day-to-day, if you have money, like money is a fantastic substitute for God. But here's the thing, and this is why Jesus is kind of so, like kind of, Uh, direct up front about this where he says no one can serve two masters is because jesus knew that money's not neutral i think about this like money if money was neutral then then why does money money cause wars like why do politicians fight over money like why why is it that families break up over money people don't talk to each other maybe you've experienced this in your own family but there are there are families and individuals who used to be so close and now they don't talk to each other because of money like marriages relationships friendships crumble apart because of money like money is not something that is uh, is is neutral and jesus goes hey that's why i've chosen this because the main issue the main issue before we talk about anything is who are you devoted to who do you serve god or money and at this point we might be a little bit tempted, I know I am, because it's my personality, we might be tempted to play a, a, some religious games. You know, try and wiggle our way out of it using some religious games or some mind games with Jesus, but, but I'd encourage you, don't do that, okay? There was a group of people in the first century who always tried to play religious games with Jesus when he said things like this. They were known as the Pharisees. And Jesus, Jesus said some things to the Pharisees. In fact, if you're not a Jesus follower, you should read your Bible, because you're probably not going to believe Jesus said this. He, about religious people... Jesus said when they played these kind of games, he said to the Pharisees, he goes, you guys are kind of like whitewashed tombs. Like whitewashed tombs. He said to them in public, this was all public by the way, he said to them, he goes, God, your, your God is money. He said to them, he goes, hey, your father is not your heavenly father, it's the devil. Right? Jesus said this of religious, of religious people, but just simply because they tried to play these religious games. So let's not try to play the religious games if you're a Jesus follower. But, Let's, let's just kind of acknowledge that all of us kind of look at this and we go, Jesus, mm, can it really be that simple? Surely this is an oversimplification, God or money. Surely it's not just like black or white. And Jesus goes, I knew you were going to push back. That's good. Because the place I'm leading you to is going to be so much better. He says, stick with me. And then he goes, he goes on. He goes, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will, uh, what you will wear. 
And so this is um, sometimes lost on us in this culture, but here's what you need to know about the first century. This was a hand-to-mouth culture, which means the people that Jesus was talking to on the side of the mountain, they knew where their next meal was coming from and maybe the meal after that, but they didn't know where their third meal was coming from. Okay, they had no idea where the third meal was coming from. Not only that, but most people only had one set of clothes. It was the rich that had two, three, four sets of clothes. And so into that kind of culture where you don't know where your third meal is coming from, maybe your second meal, Jesus goes, hey, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And everyone there would have been like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Like, what about my kids? What about my family? What about all this stuff? Now, for the most part, and and I'm not saying this doesn't exist because this does still exist today. But for the most part in our region, this doesn't really connect with us, right? This doesn't really connect because we're like, oh, I've got, I've got clothes. I'd like to have more clothes, but I've got clothes. You know, we think like, oh, I, you know, even if it's something I don't really want to eat, I've got a bunch of food at home. In fact, I'll probably throw some out because it goes past its use by date. What Jesus would say, I think, if he was here today, he'd probably say something like this. Don't, don't worry about retirement. Don't worry about education. Like don't, don't worry about inflation or the job industry or the, the economy or the stock market. If you worry about that sort of stuff, Jesus, with that, that's, that's just sideways energy. That's just stuff that you don't need to be focused on, that, that you don't need to be worried about. And what, what I think is, is helpful is, um, is that when Jesus gives a command, because this is a command that Jesus gives, when Jesus gives a command, he always gives us a way to accomplish it. It's not like he goes, I oh, don't worry about it, and he walks away, and you're like, great. Here's how he says to go about it. He goes, He kind of gives us an example. He goes, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Do you ever have those moments of just real clarity in your life where you just see what's what's really, really important? For me, that tends to happen like around funerals. You know, if I'm kind of like preparing to take someone's funeral, if I go to a funeral and you hear about the stories and you hear about the way they impacted someone's lives, in those moments, like, for me, I don't know what it is, but it just gives, gives me those incredible moments of clarity about like, these are the things, or this is the thing that is most important in my life. And what Jesus is doing here with his audience is he's trying to lead them to one of those moments of clarity. He's trying to help them have one of those moments of clarity. And he's trying to get at it from a number of different angles. He's trying to say, hey, look, guys, life does not equal retirement. Like life is more than that. If, you got, if today you looked at your super or you looked at your savings and it was zero, Jesus is like, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? There's, there's something greater than that, isn't there? He's like, it's more than the kids' education. It's, it's more than just being able to send your kids to the school they want to be able to go to. Jesus is like, sure, it's more than that, isn't it? We'd probably be like, yeah, it is. It's, it's more than what's in your bank account. It's more than the savings for the holiday. It's more than the security. Jesus goes, it's, it's more, if you had zero in your bank account today, would that be it? Would it be over? We'd say, oh, no, like there's more than that and there's this big tension that jesus that jesus leads us to and some of you will love what jesus does next i don't it annoys me because jesus kind of like just does this completely random thing okay you know those people who you're having a conversation with them and then they just got these trains of thought that kind of go everywhere and it doesn't make sense but in their mind it does that's what jesus does he leads them to this big tension point to this big moment and then he and then he just kind of turns to me and goes look at the birds of the air Think about what's most important to you. Oh, bird. Ah, peewee, plover. If you're in Griffin, Bruce the Brolger, he's floating around somewhere, right? Look at the birds of the air. 
And if you're anything like me, you'd get annoyed. You'd be like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This moment of clarity you're leading me to, telling me not to worry about all these things, and then bird. Jesus, come on, focus. Could you just, could you just get to the point here? And maybe Jesus would, would let me, and maybe he'd let some of you rant a little bit. Others of you would be like, oh, birds, these are cool. Um, right, depending on our personality. Like you'd be, uh, but I think Jesus would, would let me rant a little bit. Maybe let those of you who are like me rant a little bit. And then at the right time, at the appropriate time, he'd step in. And he would say to us, hey, guys, I want you to look at the birds because, because I'm not trying to keep something from you. You have this whole idea that I'm trying to take stuff away from you and stop you from experiencing stuff. Jesus would go, I'm, I'm not trying to stop you from experiencing anything. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to die on a Roman cross for you so you can experience everything and you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm driving at. But for right now, would you just stop the busyness? Stop being so preoccupied about the future. Would you just look at the birds? And begrudgingly, I'd probably be like, fine, I'll look at the birds. Jesus goes, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And I think this is this interesting tension that Jesus acknowledges. He goes, hey, look, we work, right? Because we sow, we reap, and then we store away. He acknowledges, Jesus kind of says, hey, it's important to work. It's important to work hard. If you're a Jesus follower, you should work as if you're working for God. Right? You should rock up early, you should put in, you should, you should work well, you should be an employee that people look at and like, that's someone I want to emulate. But he says, despite the fact that this is the way we work, the birds, God feeds them, God cares for them. And then he asks this kind of random question, he goes, are you not much more valuable than that? He goes, you look at the birds and their movements seem random, they kind of fly up and down and across and then they dive bomb into the ground and pull up a worm that you didn't see and then bang it against a tree. I'm thinking of a kookaburra in my head. Bang it against a tree, right? It's so random, right? And God cares for them. And so the question that I want to ask you is simply this is, do you believe that you are more valuable than a bird? And it's a silly question, right? It sounds like a silly question, but, but honestly, sometimes we don't behave that way. Sometimes we don't think that way. And here's what you need to know. If you've never heard this before, or maybe you just need a reminder, that according to Jesus, the only part of creation that was created in the image of God, that has the thumbprint of God on it, is humans, is you, is me, that you are actually created in the image of God. And then more than that, creating you in the image of God, God demonstrated just how valuable you are to him where he sent what was most precious to him into the world. He sent his son into the world for you. Not because he was mad at you, not because he was angry at you, not because he was trying to get back at you, because he wanted to demonstrate how for you he is. And his son died on a Roman cross to say, you are so much more valuable than you could ever, ever imagine. He goes, so don't worry. Don't worry. He says, and then he goes, he goes, can any one of you by worrying at a single moment to your life? And we know this. The answer is no, right? In fact, science and research tells us the more stress, anxiety you have, the, the more you, time you take off your life. Jesus God, you can't do that. And then he gives a few more examples, but he brings it full circle and he finishes with this statement slash question. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Jesus goes, that's at the heart of it. That's at the center of it. He said, if I could summarize it, and, and I do summarize it, he says, 
he would say, our irrational fear is driven by a lack of confidence in God. And that's a little bit confronting as a Jesus follower, right? Like, oh, no, I don't, I don't know. It's not that. But Jesus, Jesus lets us know. He goes, hey, our emotions follow our devotion, right? The emotions we have are the things that follow, we, we, uh, follow what we're devoted to. And in fact, what's a little bit scarier if you're a Jesus follower is this. Our emotions expose our devotion. The things we're scared about losing, the things we're not sure about losing, they actually bring to the surface the things that we are most devoted to. So let me ask you a question. Who are you most devoted to? Money or God? If an AI had to follow you around for 365 days, you know, you plugged it into your phone, plugged it into your brain somehow, and it analyzed your bank accounts and your spending for the year, it analyzed all of your conversations, it analyzed the thoughts that you have about certain things. And at the end of the 365 days, right, this AI compiled all this massive data points and then spit out one of two words, money or God, in the answer to this question. What would it spit out? And I know, like, I, I, I totally understand, right, that, that for you, you might be sitting there and you're kind of like, Chris, you don't understand, like, if you grew up in my family, if you, if you saw how the, 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 fin- the financial crisis hit our family, if you saw how losing the business left my parents, if you saw what all these different factors had, and, and I get that and I understand that, and Jesus gets it too, but Jesus goes, those are issues up here. And we can debate up here all day long, but Jesus goes, let's just get to the root. Let's get to the foundation of the whole thing that everything else stems from and go, hey, who are you most devoted to? Money or God? So what do we do? How do we overcome this obstacle? Well, here's, here's what I, can, I want to encourage you to do this week. I just want you to read seven times that passage from Jesus, Matthew 6, 24 to 34. And if you don't have a Bible um, or you don't know where to get one, here's what you can do. You can pull out your phone and you can actually scan that QR code. Um, you can, you'll actually download that little um, Bible app on the top of your corner. In fact, even if you have that Bible, um, I'd encourage you to scan the QR code because then you can um, follow us as a church on the, on the Bible app and you can stay up to date with it. But here's why I want you to do that. I want you to read that seven times uh, or once a day or you could do it all in one day, seven times for the next seven days. And the reason why is because our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus. Right? I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow beyond. I don't want you to be like, oh, I go there because they're teaching so great or the music's so great. Or it's all, I want you to follow Jesus. So I just want you to wrestle with what Jesus has to say for the next seven days. I want you to get angry at him. I want you to ask your questions. I want you to push back against Jesus. And I want you to see how he responds. Now, here's the good news, because I know what you're thinking. How long is that going to take? I read it really, really slow and timed myself. About 90 seconds reading real slow, okay? Which means if you do it seven times, it'll be about 10 minutes, okay? 10 minutes across the whole week, you got time. You got time, to, um, you got time to fit that in. So do that this week. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I just want you to choose to be generous. The research discovered in that book, and I, I'd encourage you to read it, the research discovered that the number one way to overcome that obstacle or the what if is to actually just make a decision to be generous, right? To do it when you're not sure how to do it. To do it when it feels awkward. To do it when you really don't feel like doing it, okay? To do it when it feels uncomfortable. 
And as you begin to do it, you begin to figure it out. You begin to overcome that what-if obstacle because you're actually practicing it. You're actually uh, getting, uh, getting some, really, some real reps at choosing to be generous. And then if you're a Jesus follower, what you'll begin to discover is that as you choose to be generous, God steps in and God takes care of your needs. Not your wants, that's something we have to challenge with in our culture. It's not, not your wants, but your needs. God steps in and God takes care of your needs. And then you get the benefit that we were talking about, that the science talks about. And in fact, this is the way they summed it up. We looked at this last week, is that the more generous you are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life that you enjoy. And that's something we all want. Something I want for you. I'm sure it's something you want for you. And that's what's on the other side of what Jesus talks about. So we'll go ahead, read that seven times this week and then choose to be generous. And then next week, we're going to pick up the conversation. I'd love to pray for us. Jesus, that's, uh, that's a teaching that you have that is far easier said than done. Because there's so many things that we've got to think about, especially at the moment, you know, interest rates and mortgage repayments and what's the RBA doing and all these things that are, that are coming up and the price of fuel rising. And, and in the midst of that, you tell us not to worry. To be honest, that kind of seems a little bit too much. It seems a little bit too challenging. But you ask the same thing in the same way of the first century people who are listening to you. And so you know what you're asking of us. You know the challenges that we have. And Jesus, I pray that this week we'd, we'd wrestle with that passage, that we'd wrestle with it, even those of us who, who maybe don't read the Bible, maybe would begin to explore explore, the, explore the, uh, the, the stories, explore the teachings, and really begin to wrestle with you and push back against it. And that in the midst of this wrestling, that we would actually discover you taking care of our needs. And that through it, we could choose to be generous and help others. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes, or Moreton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website, beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times, and what you can expect, as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school-aged environment, and Infinity Youth, our high school-aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.